Alright folks, welcome to Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as I'm recording this uh, very early in the morning, 12.41 a.m. I wanted to do some work on this podcast, wanted to be able to give this the time of day that it needs, that it deserves. And in going through my uh, process uh, covering this Nuggets game, this was a very interesting and fun Nuggets game to cover. This There was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, there was a lot of drama, me sitting next to Matt Moore in the stands. It was incredible. The Nuggets win 113-107 to 107 over the Washington Wizards. That was the final score. Nikola Jokic was fantastic in this game until he was unceremoniously kicked out of said game. Uh, the Nuggets looked like a tire fire without him throughout that quarter. And frankly, it's just kind of a microcosm of the season, right? Where they look like a team that can compete with anybody when Jokic is out there because he looks like the best player in the world all the time, because he looks like a player that just cannot be stopped. And when he is stopped, it's usually met with a, a quick response in the next game. But then when he's off the floor, the entire world seems to blow up, seems to roll over and die, seems to completely malfunction in his stead. And it's just crazy to watch. And I thought that this game, kind of a tale of three parts, uh, three different parts to this game where the first 30 minutes of the game, it was an absolute obliteration the last six minutes of the third, first six minutes of the fourth uh, were bad, really, really bad. And Denver kind of just letting the lead get chipped away and along and along and along. And then post-Jokic ejection and how Denver dealt with that in their uh, final six minutes of the game or so. So I'm going to talk about the first 30 minutes in the first segment. That's the bulk of the game. That's the part that matters because Denver won. Second segment, though, I'm going to talk about the last six minutes of the third, first six minutes of the fourth, and then what happened after the Jokic ejection. So basically the last 18 minutes of the game in the second segment. And then third segment, I want to talk about Faku Campazo because he needs to be talked about. What he did, both good and bad, in this game, I think deserves a full conversation in and of itself. I'm not going to go into depth about Tony Brothers. I'm not going to go in depth about anything else. Uh, we're going to talk about Faku because there is a lot to discuss there. There's a lot to pull on. But let's cover the first segment here real quick. We got to start with Nikola Jokic awesomeness. Like that's that's where this game really starts and ends, at least for the Nuggets, is that when Jokic is out there, Denver's just fantastic. They were plus 21 in his 31 minutes where he scored 28 points, 19 rebounds, 9 assists, 3 steals, 1 block, has 4 turnovers. Some of those were kind of lazy in the uh, in the last 6 minutes of the 3rd quarter where he was out there and he was trying to get his 10th assist and it just wasn't really happening, but uh, threw a couple of full court passes that got picked off, things like that. Um, it is what it is. He's always going to turn the ball over at a relatively high rate because he's got the ball all the time. But what he did when he was on the floor 
to Daniel Gafford, who was trying to defend him, and Montrez Harrell, who was trying to defend him, was just absurd. Those guys had no chance. Asking Daniel Gafford to match up with him physically, and then asking Montrez Harrell, who had his head taken off in the bubble when he was playing with the Clippers against the Nuggets in that second round series, both of those guys looked completely nonplussed in how to guard him. There was a possession against uh, Daniel Gafford where Jokic does a split cut action at the top of the set. The top of the key dishes the ball off to Jeff Green. Maybe it was Aaron Gordon. Does a split cut action with Jeff Green, I'm pretty sure. And then seals Daniel Gafford behind him under the rim. Just plants his big behind right under the charge circle. Gets the ball, fakes the fakes the shot, goes up and under, draws a foul on Daniel Gafford and one, and he just looked like a child out there. Jokic was toying with them, absolutely manhandling them for that stretch. Montrez Harrell comes into the game, gets a dunk, looks really like physical. He wants to, like he's trying to show Jokic that he's not afraid, that he's going to dish it right back to him. And then they go back down the court on the next possession, and Jokic gets the ball at the top of the key. He surveys, he surveys, he looks everywhere, realizes, okay, there's five seconds left on this clock. Let me look at Montrez Harrell. Oh, right. He's six foot seven, and you're standing at the top of the circle. Or, yeah, like, like about 19, 20 feet away from the basket. And there's no way that Harrell can guard you. So he looks at him and calmly drains the wide open shot. And. Montrezl Harrell just kind of looks over at the bench like, what am I supposed to do? Because there is nothing that he could do. Absolutely nothing. That's kind of a microcosm of where Jokic is right now. There's nothing that nobody can do to him one-on-one that is going to really bother him. Now, there's other stuff that got him ejected that we're going to talk about in the second segment. But for the first 30 minutes... This was an absolute decimation. I was really rooting for him to be able to get his triple-double, for him to get a 30-20-10 game. He was very close. Had he not been ejected, I think he probably would have gotten it. Just needed one basket, one rebound, one assist. And there was a question about whether he did get the 10th assist to Monte Morris on a back cut or a DHO or something like that. And then the scorers just didn't really credit him with it. Uh, I'm not sure what happened there. I, I'll i take a look at it, but that was the buzz on Twitter. So I'll make sure to, to look, but he's just legit. Like there is there is nobody like him in the league and he deserves the credit for this. Where Denver in a game that they won by six, he was plus 21. And in the 17 minutes that he didn't play, the Nuggets were a minus 15. That is a microcosm of the season. And it is really, really unfortunate that this continues to happen. Monte Morris was also legit. He's been legit for a while. 22 points, 8 of 14 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3. Very efficient as a shooter. 6 assists, or 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 0 turnovers, plus 13. Very, very good in this game. One of the only players that even when Jokic was off the floor, you can look to for him to stabilize things. You can look to Monte for him to deliver, and he'll get the job done. It was very good. Uh, 
Monte is leveling up as a point guard. He's officially a top 30 point guard in the NBA. I know that a lot of people would be like, uh, it's hard to come. It's hard to compare backups to starters. No, like this is this is a guarantee. Monte Morris is a top thirty point guard in the NBA, and anybody that says differently is huffing paint. He has turned himself into a starting caliber point guard, and he's doing it on a consistent basis. Over this uh, road trip, over this game here, uh, the way that he carries himself and the way that he scores off the dribble on a consistent basis and is very comfortable within himself. This is the Monte that the Nuggets need. And he's doing great things. Aaron Gordon also continues to shine. He was questionable tonight. And it was it was definitely a question as to whether with a sore back, not knowing what the pain tolerance was. He has low back pain. I'm curious to see what that is. And obviously when you hear low back pain, you're like, well, Michael Porter had low back pain. He got surgery on his lumbar spine. Uh, that's not great. So hopefully what Aaron Gordon is doing playing 39 minutes tonight through low back pain is not hurting him in any way, shape, or form. I would definitely check on that if I were the doctors because you've already got a pretty piss poor record for keeping some of these guys healthy. So definitely keep Aaron Gordon healthy because he is extremely important to this team. Guarded Bradley Beal extremely well tonight. Thought he did a very nice job. Um, and yeah, this just seems like a seems like a very consistent thing for Gordon now that he's going to deliver 16 points, five rebounds, three assists. That's kind of his line. That's kind of what he's been doing. So really good stuff from him. In the first half, Faku Campazzo was incredible as a passer. Just absolutely fantastic. Diming guys up, clowning the Wizards, doing whatever he could for the highlight assist. He had four to five highlight passes that were just mind-boggling. They will be showing up on highlight reels throughout the, the next couple days, and they're absolutely deserved. Because the way that he's passing, the way that he provides and brings energy to the group is really important. And the way the ball arena responds to him when he makes those passes is really good. They consistently, the fans is what I'm really talking about here. They love watching him zip around, throw the ball through his legs, no look, over his head, behind his back, whatever it is. They love seeing that, and they ooh and ah and do everything that a good fan base does to celebrate a player where his skill set is flashy, although it's not like a physical kind of flashy. It's more of a, I am a wizard with the ball kind of flashy, and he really is. Like He is a, he is a very, very strong passer, one of the best passers in the NBA, and in these first 30 minutes, he deserves that credit. See what's next here. Um, Marcus and Bones. Uh, that duo off the bench. Uh, it wasn't as much Bones tonight, but Marcus in 12 minutes hit three out of four from three. Nine points. Three of five from the field. Three of four from three. Didn't do a whole heck of a lot else, but he sure did get up impressive shots. And the shots that he got up, uh, you knew that they were going in. 
there was a transition three that he took in the face of some bench player, whether it was Raul Neto, Aaron Holiday, somebody like that, Corey Kispert, I don't know. Uh, but in transition, taking a deep three where you knew that he was getting it up and it just didn't matter. Like he has that confidence in his jumper that it's going to go in. That is really, really big for this Nuggets team. Uh, this bench, they were able to kind of provide a nice cushion for the starters in the first half, uh, partially because of the threes. And, and Marcus Howard was the biggest part of that. Vlaco had a three, but Faku was missing. Bones was missing. Uh, Zeke Nagy was missing too. Um, Marcus was the only guy who was consistently hitting. And though that was literally the only thing that he did positively in the box score, uh, he deserved credit for that. Like Having guys that put the ball in the hoop are important, though they may not be the most important part. And then Zeke and Flacco. I think that they deserve some credit too. Uh, this bench unit that the Wizards threw out there, Davis Bertans, he was hitting some crazy shots. Like, Zeke Naji was out there contesting him on some. Flacco was contesting him on others. Uh, but Davis was was uh, just hitting some fantastic shots that were off balance, on the move. Crazy looks. Sometimes there's not a lot you can do with that. But when Zeke downsized to the five, when he was guarding Montrez Harrell, I was pretty concerned that Montrez would be the guy that would really give Denver some problems where uh, he is extremely physical, very powerful going to the rim. And when he posts certain guys up, you know that they're going to feel him. You know that the, the speed is going to get them in foul trouble. And you know that the ferocity is going to overpower some players. I thought that Zeke held his own in the post. There was one shot that Montrez got over him in the post that uh, it was a good contest that he just uh, hit the shot. That's fine. But there are multiple other possessions where Montrez goes at Zeke Naji into his body and Zeke isn't moved. Like he, he stands his ground. It's very firm, moves his feet well. And that is the archetype. That is what you want to see from Zeke. And what I think that you're going to probably see either this year or going forward in playoff situations where Jokic is off the floor, you need somebody who can switch and defend all the positions, but is mostly playing the five because of his ability to be a functional post defender. Zeke can do that. And as long as he starts hitting shots again, he was 0 of 2 from 3 tonight. Uh, that could be very important for this Nuggets group. I do think that next season is going to be the year where Zeke is going to become the third big, where it's Jokic and AG in the starting unit, but Zeke will be the third guy. And whether that means that AG will stagger with the bench, be the role guy while Zeke is the third, and he's just kind of more of a wing, or if he's the true center where he's rolling to the rim while guys like Monte Morris and Bones Highland and maybe Faku or Marcus or whoever, if they're the guys that kind of play off of him, then I do think that Zeke is going to get some opportunities there. But Vlaco's the other guy. I thought that his chemistry with Faku was really good. Those two know how to play together. 
And Flacco only played nine minutes tonight. I thought that he probably should have played more. Uh, Aaron Gordon plays 39. Aaron Gordon, with a back injury, should not be playing that many minutes. He was just matching up his minutes with Bradley Beal for the most part. And I think that that's a mistake. I think that they probably should have used uh, Davon Reed a little bit more when just guarding Beal. Let Aaron Gordon only play 30 minutes. Let Flacco play 14 to 15 like a normal rotation, but uh, you don't want to complain. Like, Denver got the win, but it really was because of the first 30 minutes of the game where Denver doing as well as they could, starters coming back in, pushed that lead up to 32 at 83 to 51 through those first 30 minutes. It was at that point where Denver just kind of lost control. They lost the wheel, and the Wizards just kept shipping and shipping away. And we're going to talk about that in the second segment when we come back. But first, this podcast, as you know, is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Football fans, I know we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. I know that had you bet on the LA Rams tonight or the Arizona Cardinals tonight to score a single point, you would have won. That's just how this promo works, where new customers bet just $1 on any team, and then they win $100 in free bets if one team scores a single point. It's that simple. We haven't had any 0-0 ties. Come on now. That's a thing of the past. DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also get skin in the game with new same-game parlays feature. Combine the multiple bets that you place in a single game for a bigger payout because the more legs you add to your parlay, the more money you can win. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS. Bet $1 on any team to score and you win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code MHS this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's talk about the last parts of this game, the last 18 minutes of this game specifically, where after Denver pushes their lead to 32 points at 83 to 51, a lot of things start happening. A lot of problems start to manifest where Denver, they've they've done a lot of great work and it sort of starts slipping away from them where Denver, they scored just eight points in the next six minutes. The Wizards, they scored 19. 19 points in six minutes translates to 38 points across 12, across a full quarter. That's a really high margin. And because the Wizards were able to get that, while Denver scored what really amounted to 16 points in a quarter for that stretch, the Wizards were able to cut the lead to 21 heading into the fourth. 
And it really all started, believe it or not, with a defensive three seconds call. Tony Brothers called a defensive three seconds on Denver, up 31. That's insane. Nobody is paying attention to those things in a blowout game. Monte Morris, of all people, got called for a defensive three seconds. I doubt that he was in the lane for more than two and a half seconds because Tony Brothers at this point was just looking for ways to make this game close, make this game fun. And that was one way where it kind of got started. And and then you have a string of mistakes. You have Faku turning the ball over. You have Aaron Gordon turning it over. You have Bones traveling on a possession. And though Denver kind of stabilizes towards the end where Jokic gets a couple free throws, definitely not called by Tony Brothers, by the way. After that, he goes to the bench. Denver's up 21. Matt Moore to my left is just cackling because he knows that I've declared that this game is over. And he's like, hey, wait a minute. I mean, if they get it to 18 by the quarter, by the end of the third, and then they get it to 12 by this point, if they get it to six by this point, then you're you're still in business. And he was completely right. And it irritated the shit out of me. A large string of mistakes in the fourth quarter combined with some more BS refereeing from Tony Brothers, it really helped knock down that margin. Jokic comes back into the game after Tony Brothers tees up Zeke Naji, gives him a technical. Zeke clearly did not foul, or at least not to the degree that it warranted a foul call, uh, Montrezl Harrell. And they actually review the call. Michael Malone throws the challenge flag after... Um, or does the, does the little finger turn sig- signaling for a challenge? And on the replay, it showed that Zeke had just gently caressed Montrez Harrell's body with his arm, with his, with his hand. It didn't disrupt him in any way, shape, or form. And in reality, any person that calls that at a local pickup game or even in an NBA basketball game, should be thrown in jail. It was an insane call, but only because Montrezl Harrell threw up his arms, fell down, and then screamed. Tony Brothers got the call. Zeke Naji is angry about that, bounces the ball pretty hard and says, come on. And then Tony Brothers immediately tees him up. Like just, just no conversation, just tees him up because he can't. It was just doubling down on something completely stupid. And missed free throws ensue, of course. So Jokic comes back into the game at the 820 mark. Denver, they're up 17. They were being up they're up 32 earlier. Jokic has been in for some of that, but the bench is not helping themselves. They are really, really doing bad. But the game stabilizes for a couple minutes. The margin stays about the same for two minutes until Spencer Dinwiddie at about the 620 mark, 630 mark. He drives hard to the rim, drives right into Jokic, who's in good contesting position, and he fouls him twice. He fouls Din or he Dinwiddie fouls Jokic twice. He knees him in the nuts, which is illegal. It's actually not like like, that's, that's illegal contact. You're not supposed to knee people driving into them when they're in a 
standing position. But he also, on top of kneeing him into the nuts, which Jokic was not super pleased about, he also elbowed him in the chin, elbowed him in the throat area. And Tony Brothers was right there, looking right at it, and just ignored it. Just absolutely. Jokic goes down to the ground in copious amounts of pain. Dinwiddie misses the layup because it was a good contest by Jokic, a legal contest. But the ball bounces right back to him and Jokic is on the ground. So Dinwiddie collects it and gets the layup. And that was too bad because Jokic looks at Tony Brothers like, yo, what the fuck? Like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? The very next possession, Jokic calls for a high ball screen where he screens Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie's guarding Monte Morris. He wants to free up Monte for a mid-range. Monte gets free for the mid-range because Dinwiddie gets into Jokic. Definitely fouls him. Dinwiddie definitely fouls Jokic on a second possession. He kind of tussles with his arms, forces him into his arms so much that Jokic, trying to protect himself, accidentally slaps himself in the face because Dinwiddie uh, pushed his arm into his face, uh, trying to fight through that screen. And Jokic is understandably pissed because had Dinwiddie not fouled him, he wouldn't have slapped him his own self in the face. Gave himself like his Rudolph red nose. And then he goes after the other official. Uh, it's Eric Dalen. Eric Dalen's not somebody I was familiar with, but I've seen him referee games before. Monte hits the jumper, but Jokic kind of goes at Eric Dalen. He earns a technical foul. Definitely. Like, he wanted that technical foul. He wanted to make a point. Then he moves away from him. People get in between him and Eric Dalen. Make sure he doesn't get a second tack. Then he looks over at Tony Brothers, who watched him get that elbow to the face, watched him get that knee to the nuts, and did nothing about it. And he says to him, call the foul kind of angrily says it because he's angry, but Brothers ejects him on the spot. Just like, just there was there was nothing there. Like he, he said, call the foul, and Tony Brothers just immediately takes him out of the game after seeing that he got a, a tech. He knew that he could eject him and chose to do so. It was an absurd ejection because Tony Brothers was clearly waiting for it. He wanted to do it. And when you're in situations like that where your ego and your pride and things of that nature are more important than refereeing the basketball game, then you indict yourself. You become lesser than. You become a lesser official in many people's eyes because you can't rise above the emotion of it and instead just fall victim to Jokic is clearly a hothead at times, like he's clearly upset, but he clearly had a right to be. You saw him get kneed in the nuts. You saw him take an elbow to the chin and did nothing. It wasn't like Tony Brothers was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. He went right for Jokic. And it was just very disappointing. It's irritating, actually, because Tony Brothers has ejected Jokic more than any referee in the NBA. He's done it, I think, three times, if I'm not mistaken. But it was absurd. 
it was also like completely understandable for Jokic's part. Because when you get hit like that, you want somebody to look at you and, and realize that you've been hit. And Jokic just wasn't about to, he wasn't going to say nothing. He knows that Tony Brothers doesn't have his back. It irritates him. I know that. And this was an irritation ejection, something that I actually called. I turned to Matt Moore about five minutes before it happened and said, watch Jokic get ejected when he comes back in because he's pissed that he has to come back into a game where they were up 32 points. It's too bad. But Denver, they still have to finish a game and they're up 18 points before the double techs. Beal goes one of two at the free throw line. And then they're up 17 with about six minutes left. Here are Denver's next 10 possessions offensively. Aaron Gordon, 20-footer that he missed. Aaron Gordon, turnover. Jeff Green, 18-footer that he missed. Monte Morris made mid-range jumper. Faku Campazzo missed three. And then a timeout is taken, and after the timeout, Faku goes to isolate against Aaron Holiday and loses the ball for a turnover. That is egregious. We're going to talk about that in the third segment. Next possession, Jeff Green, turnover. Next possession, Monte missed mid-range jumper. Next possession, Aaron Gordon drops Daniel Gafford and dunks the ball home. It was the most important points of the game, where it kind of put the game out of reach for Washington. And then after that, Monte missed another mid-range. The reason why I talk about those 10 possessions after that, Denver got fouled three straight times. They went to the basket, or they went to the free throw line and made six free throws. Those don't really count. I'm not counting those within the scheme of this because that was intentional fouling. When the Wizards were trying to play defense, the Nuggets in 10 possessions scored four points. It was with Monte, Aaron Gordon, Faku, Jeff Green, and Davon Reed for part of it, Faku, or uh, Bones Highland for another part. Uh, it was bad. It was a really bad stretch. For Denver, where they were doing everything they could with turnovers, with bad shot attempts, with just some really bad decisions um, to give up this game that they had built a 32-point lead in. And yeah, Denver scraped out the win, but it wasn't because of anything good that they did in the last 18 minutes of this game. It was just that they built up enough of a cushion to survive the complete and utter suckitude that was what they were when they were playing without Jokic in the second half. It's just really disappointing. But it is what it is. And you survive. And Denver's now 14 and 13. They're above 500 for the first time in a long time. Pretty sure that it was before the road trip. Before even that, when they were above 500. It might have been before the six-game losing streak, where Denver was 9-5, 9-4 at one point. I think going 9-5, and 9-6, 9-7, 9-8, I think 9-8 and eight was the last time they were above 500, if I'm not mistaken. That's insane. But we're going to talk about one of the key players in that. 
we're going to talk about Faku Campazo and the duality of who Faku is as a player to this team. We'll be right back. segment pickaxe and roll ryan blackburn here thank you so much for tuning in if you could it would be awesome if you could rate review and subscribe on itunes spotify wherever you get your podcasts that would be great uh seeing those reviews seeing those ratings come in really helps me so if you could it would make my day let's talk about faku um faku is a polarizing player and i'm titling this segment the duality of faku Campazo. Because on one hand, there's a lot of great things that he does. There's a lot of things that if you're a coach, if you're a player, if you're a fan, you really latch on to. Starting with the legitimately awe-inspiring passes that he threw tonight. Some of the passes that he threw were just absurd. Two to Vlaco, one of them was an over-the-head pass for an open three Shot clock running down, knew exactly where the defender was, passed to the open spot, and Vlaco was there. The other was in transition, where Vlaco runs to the rim and Faku is on the wing, and he throws an underhand slinger right to him under the rim in transition for a layup. It was impressive, and the way that he does that, uh, those possessions were basically back-to-back, or at least as close to them as possible. When you have that many highlights in a row where you are delivering for your team on a consistent basis, where you have that many highlights, you're absolutely changing the tempo, changing the flow of the game. And I liked what I saw from him, especially in that first half. He had another couple of highlights to Joker, Uh, one behind the back pass where he dropped it off to Joker. The other was kind of to Jokic in when he was cutting to the rim, but it was a no-look pass. The way that he threw it, there was no way that the defense was going to get a hand on it, and there was no way that Jokic was going to miss. It was great. It was fantastic to watch. He didn't score any points in the first half, but he was still a legitimately helpful player. And on the defensive end, he was zipping around, contesting shots, not being scored on. There's a lot of great things to talk about with that first half. He was a plus 10 in the first half, in the plus minus department. And that bears out with how he played. He was great. He finished the game minus 14. He was a minus 24 in the second half. Now let me check the rotation chart here. He was a minus 24 in just about... 15 minutes, which means that they're giving up 1.6 points to the opposing team for every minute that he was out there. That is an insanely number, an insanely bad number, 24 points. If you did that in two halves, that would be a minus 48 in 30 minutes which is just about like the bad levels of the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
like when they're getting beaten by 72. Because it's really hard for somebody to be a minus 72. Faku, there are some good things that he does. But in the second half, the bad things really showed up. Where the Wizards just targeted him relentlessly on defense. He gave up an insane number of baskets. To Dinwiddie, to Bradley Beal, to Aaron Holiday, Raul Neto. Literally every, like, like when he was the rotation guy on Denver's small unit, like, you couldn't contest when he was under the rim on a Montrez Harold dunk or a Davis Bertans cutting layup or anything like that. He did have a couple possessions in the first half where he did contest a Montrez Harold layup, where he did contest a, a Davis Bertans layup or, or Ralanetto or somebody like that. I don't remember who it was, but really legitimately good defense in the first half. It disappeared in the second half. There were at least 20 to 25 points given up in the second half by Faku alone. It's going to show up on film. I'll probably compile some clips tomorrow so that everybody could see what I see. I'm really not trying to flame him either, but that's just, it's simply what happened. And it's tough because I don't want to be the guy that continues to rag on him constantly for things that he can't really control. Because let's be honest, like he can't control Spencer Dinwiddie at 6'6", shooting over him, or Bradley Beal at 6'4", 6'5", shooting over him, being physical. Now, he could do better against Aaron Holiday and Raleneto. He was fouling those guys. He was letting those guys get to the rim. That's bad. That's really bad. But in addition to the defense, there were moments offensively where I was pulling my hair out, where he tried to throw the flashy pass or hit the outside shot and didn't deliver. And sometimes you're not going to deliver in those situations, but Faku was kind of hot-dogging it in the second half. He was trying to go for... Flashy highlights, the killer assist, the killer bucket. He had two turnovers. One of them was a kind of a fundamental mess up. The other was just a a poor decision. The fundamental mess up was a, a pick and roll with Jokic where Jokic wasn't going to roll to the rim. Asking him to roll to the rim when he's got a small guy on him is kind of missing the point when it's, in, when it's it was very deep on the right block of uh, not great spacing on that play, Faku tried to lead Jokic and led him too far, and Jokic couldn't handle the pass. It was kind of low. Um, but the second turnover was insane. With three minutes left to go, after a timeout, Denver tries to run a play, and then Faku gets the ball against Aaron Holiday with about 10 to 12 seconds left on the clock, gets it on the left wing, and clears out everybody. Tells him he's going to go one-on-one. And he tries to take Aaron Holiday one-on-one, but can't get any space against him and ultimately loses the ball against a taller guard defender that has the quickness to stay in front of him. Monte Morris right next to him had a switch. Monte has been a killer in the isolation front. But Faku tried to take the glory, and he, he wanted that matchup. And if you deliver in that situation, then it's different. Even if you get up a shot, it's different. Faku just lost the ball. Like, he he coughed it up right into the lap of the Washington Wizards. It was not even close to being a good possession. 
And that is a frustrating play. Because if you were doing the same thing with Bones Highland, it would be a rookie mistake where he would learn, where he would understand that there are times and there are definitely times and places to isolate like that. But you can't have a turnover in that situation. Faku's old. Faku's a veteran. He knows how to play. The fact that he made that decision in this game where Denver needed a good shot attempt is insane. These are the legitimate reasons why Faku can sometimes be a negative player. And that really bore out in the game tonight. And it's too bad. I don't want to be the overly critical guy because the first half exists just as much as the second half. I'm still at the point where the energy, the hustle, the flashy passes, they can be outweighed by the mistakes and the deficiencies, especially if he's not in a hitting shots. Because if he's hitting 39%, if he's hitting the outside threes, if he's not turning the ball over, it's a little different. If instead of trying to go to the rack against Aaron Holiday, he pulls up for three, even if he misses, that's a little bit better than just giving up a wide-open turnover. Like, just, just a clear, ugly possession. He goes 2 of 9 tonight, gets 4 concession free throws at the end, but that's all they really were. Could have gone to anybody. I do not think that Faka Campazzo is going to play a ton when Jamal Murray comes back. And Jamal Murray is nearing a return. It's not going to be before January. It's going to be in February, in all likelihood. Whether it's before the All-Star break or after the All-Star break, maybe slightly into March, that's the biggest question mark. But it's probably going to be February, which means that we've got about two more months left. And you got to start thinking about it because December 15th is about to hit, where... That's the unofficial start of the trade deadline, or like trade season. And when you've got a guy like Jamal Murray nearing a return, you've got Monte Morris playing the way that he is. Will Barton's going to come back. He's going to play well. He's been good for most of the year. You've got Bones Highland, who's been delivering when given the opportunity. And usually the, the big thing with him is that you want to give him the ball more. You want to give him more opportunities and a spaced floor, things like that. When you have all of these guys and Bones learning and growing, though he did have a subpar game tonight, there are only so many small guards that you can play in your rotation. The Nuggets are finding that out. They're finding out that they can survive it against bad teams. Washington, what they showed tonight was bad. San Antonio, what they showed when Denver wasn't on a rest disadvantage was bad. They were able to take advantage of San Antonio with Faku Bones and Marcus Howard. Like, that's insane. The Spurs should have outscored that group, and they did. It was only because of Jokic's dominance that Denver was able to pull out that game, too. It's a mirror image of this game. It just didn't include the freaking ejection by Tony Brothers. But Denver has to understand this. They have to know. That without Michael Porter, that without P.J. Dozier, that with the way that Davon Reed has played and really helped the team, that 
Denver might be better served if they have somebody of more of a 3 and D wing in that place. Whether it's actually Davon Reed or a better version of Davon Reed on the trade market, the Nuggets have to use their resources. And Faku, if he's not going to have a dedicated role when Murray comes back, you might want to consider that. Because Faku, for all of the great things that he does, and he does do great things, I've tried to push this. For all the great things that he does, he's about to be in a position where his skill set, his abilities are superfluous with what Denver does. They just don't necessarily make sense. And there may not be time for Faku at that point, and the Nuggets shouldn't feel the need to create time. Because, let's face it, Faku's got the worst plus-minus on the team. The three-point shooting has been good. It's been really, really good. But there's a reason why that hasn't made the most amount of difference with the bench unit. It's that they just don't need that guy. They need something different. Whether it's Monte Morris, whether it's Will Barton staggering more with Monte Morris, whether it's Jamal Murray. Denver's got so many guard options that they're about to have when they get healthy that I have to wonder whether Faku's going to stick on Denver's roster or not. I think that's a guy that you you look at if you're Denver. Because Austin Rivers is a no-trade clause. Jamichael Green is a no-trade clause. Despite the fact that those guys might be players that Denver wants to upgrade upon, they may not be able to. That might not be something that is really available to them. So they're going to have to get creative. And they might have to do something that some fans will hate. Because while the flashy passes are really great and can be helpful and can get the team started when he does a bunch of hustle plays on both the offense and defensive end, it may not be enough. Because when the playoffs roll around, there's going to be plenty of other versions of Bradley Beal, Spencer Dinwiddie, Aaron Holiday. Like I just described the Suns, the Blazers, the Warriors, the Jazz. And if Faku can't be healthy and helpful in those situations, then it's going to get tough. Denver's got to think of that. That is going to do for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate all the love and support. Sorry for not having the mailbag on Monday with Asher Levy. I got food poisoning yesterday. Just didn't want to have to fight through that for our podcast. Sorry. Uh, Going to try to do the mailbag tomorrow night. So when you're listening to this, I'll be recording that night, Tuesday night with Asher Levy. You can definitely look for that on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning, ahead of Denver's game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. We're also going to talk about December 15th, because that is right around the corner too. And it is a national holiday here in Denver, as it should be. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. 
We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.